should all be mindful as well. As we look at our own lives, as we look at uh, how we are living out our Christian faith, transformation has to be part of that equation. We are in the process of becoming different people. Now this doesn't happen overnight, even though you may have a Damascus Road experience as Paul did, and all of a sudden go from someone who is actively killing Christians to someone who becomes a great evangelist. The truth of the matter is that even Paul, over all these years, as he shared and as he traveled, as he built churches and as he encouraged people, changed himself and became more and more in the image of God. It was Paul's greatest heartfelt desire to become like this with the Christ that he worshipped. He knew that he was far away from that. In fact, in Paul's own words, he describes himself as the greatest of all sinners. And yet, Paul seeks each day, each hour of each day, to become closer and closer in his relationship with the man who he loved with all his heart. There were many enemies, as I said, that uh, were not happy about the work that Paul was doing in this world. And the response of uh, the people, however, who did receive uh, the gospel from Jesus Christ was manifold. Many of these people were very poor people, and yet they gave graciously and generously to support the ministry that was being done. They did all that they could to build their church and have that church begin to represent in the world all the things that the church should be to the people of God. And not only did they do that, they also took a special offering to send back to Jerusalem to help uh, the poor and destitute people that were living in Jerusalem as well. The second theme, besides encouragement, that is found in this particular passage of Scripture, is that whole theme of the fear of disaster that is about to come upon Paul. Everywhere that Paul goes, universally, there is great sadness among the people. There's joy in seeing him, but great sadness as, as they prepare to say goodbye to him. They realize that Paul will probably never come back to them again. And for many of them, this was heartbreaking. Paul was the central focus of their faith. He was the one that had brought the star into their life. He was the one that helped their eyes be opened to understand the fullness of God's grace and God's glory. And it was their salvation that they attributed to his ministry. They knew it was the life-saving gift of Jesus Christ that had brought them salvation, but it was Paul that brought them that story. It was Paul that brought them the truth of God. Time and time again, as he traveled, he was warned by the people not to go back to Jerusalem. And we find that in many of the stories that were part of this, uh, part of Acts chapter 20 and 21. As he goes into these churches, as he speaks to these people, he is warned and told by the people not to go back because of the fear that they have for his life. Not only that, we find prophetesses and prophets speaking to him, Agabus being one of those, who graphically details for Paul the way that he will be perse you know, arrested, persecuted, and turned over to the Gentiles. All of these messages came to him time and time again. And as the people gathered around, in particular in Caesarea, and prayed with him and encouraged him not to go back to Jerusalem to face what was going to be faced, Paul, amazingly enough, says to them, Why are you breaking my heart? Why are you carrying on in the way that you are. Because Paul knew that it was necessary for him to return to Jerusalem. 
he knew that this was God's plan for his life. This wasn't about Paul's agenda. And this wasn't about the agenda of the church. This was about the prompting of the Holy Spirit that had led him to understand that it was necessary for him to return to Jerusalem. It was necessary for him to face what needed to be faced there in order for him to be able to carry on the ministry that God had called him to do. Few knew at that time that Paul's desire to go to Rome would be one that would be met not by his choosing, but by the authorities themselves who would send him to Rome, a place where he would ultimately give his life. Paul, throughout his ministry, had two great understandings about what his call to ministry were all about. Those two great callings were simply this. Paul understood that he was to love God with all his heart and soul and mind and strength, and in the process of doing that, share the gospel of Jesus Christ with as many people as he could. As Paul says, he first took the message to the Jews, and if it was not accepted by them, then to the Gentiles, for he knew that God had placed upon his heart that the sharing of the gospel message was absolutely critical to his mission here on earth. The second part of what drove Paul and what Paul felt called uh, to do was to make sure that the widows and orphans, those people in need, the people destitute in this world, would be cared for. These were the two things that were his constant theme of his ministry to other people. He knew that Christ had died for his sins. And he knew that in order for others to be able to share in that salvation, they needed to also hear that story of God's grace and God's mercy. He also knew that there were many people in this world that were struggling and needed help. And those people were the ones that he had a special dispensation for as he carried out his ministry here in this world. Paul knew full well that going back to Jerusalem might mean the giving of his life. And yet he never faltered, not for a moment. He realized that even if it meant the sacrifice of his life, that this was the thing he had to do. He knew that Jesus had been willing to sacrifice his life for Paul's. And Paul felt he could do nothing less if that was what God had called on him to do. One of the great questions that Christians deal with at some point in their faith journey is, what should I be expected to give as a person of faith? I don't mean that in the context of how much money should you throw in the offering plate as the offering plate goes by. Certainly, Scripture tells us in many different ways about how we should be supporting the ministries of our church and our Lord and... Uh, Certainly, we can find places where we understand that the tithe was a great place to, to start. It was a good goal for us to begin with. I say that as a person who, for a long time in my own Christian walk, uh, thought that the whole idea of tithing was really kind of crazy. <laughs> I knew it was in the Bible, but I just felt, gosh, I can't imagine giving that much money in support of the ministry. It was an interesting transition for me. When Mary and I came to a place, a low place in our life, where financially we were struggling, where everything seemed to have turned against us, that's when I finally made the decision in my heart that I would become a tither and that I would give to God what God truly deserved. It was amazing. Over the next few years, our whole circumstances changed. And I found that no matter what the struggles were and no matter what the needs were, God always provided. 
when I begin to trust God, I begin to understand why it was easy to be someone who could give of themselves financially because you never had to worry. The cup would always be filled. But there was so much more that I had to learn about what it means to give. I needed to learn to be able to give of myself, to be able to give of myself completely and totally to God's call upon my life. When I stopped and considered where I was in relationship to God, it was easy for me to begin to understand that it wasn't a matter of owing God, it was a matter of responding to God's grace and mercy. It was a matter of saying, Lord, thank you for giving me something that I couldn't have possibly accomplished on my own. For you have opened the door for me. You have provided the opportunity for me to receive your love and your grace. You've given me the opportunity to take the sin of my life and lay it down at the feet of the cross and say, Lord, carry this burden from me, for I can't carry it anymore. Even though we sometimes think about giving in terms of finances, in terms of money, God looks to us to give in other ways. God wants our prayers. Can you imagine that? Why would any God, all-powerful God, a God that is able to do anything that God would wish, care about the prayers of us, simple human beings? And yet, God loves our prayers. God loves us being in communication with him. God loves to hear us with our own words, through our own hearts, be able to say to him, Lord, thank you for the blessings you've given me. Lord, please help my daughter overcome this illness. Lord, be with me on this journey. Lord, have me be open to you always. For as I pray to you, then I am open to be able to hear your prayers for me. So prayer is one of those ways that we can give and give and give. And so I once thought that saying my simple devotions in the morning would be sufficient. Now if I pray for less than an hour a day, it just seems that I'm left empty. I love to think of Martin Luther, who was a great man of prayer. And one time, as he was in conversation, it became uh, aware to the people that he was talking to that Martin Luther prayed for four hours every day. Four solid hours. And one of the people said to Martin Luther, he says, my goodness, how in the world, with all the things that you're doing, writing and translating, you know, translating the Bible, uh, starting the churches that you're doing, being the leader of a faith and everything, how in the world can you find time to pray for four hours a day? And Martin Luther's response simply was this, it's because I have all those things on my plate that I must pray four hours a day. I couldn't do it without it. Not only does God want our prayers, he wants our presence. And here I would be preaching to the choir, wouldn't I? You're here. <laughs> but God wants your presence. He wants your presence in church. He wants your presence even more so in the community. He wants people to know that you are, pre that you are Christians and that you are actually living out your Christian faith each and every day of your life. God wants you to share the gifts that you've been given. And every one of us has been given unique and special talents and gifts that we can share with the world around us. God wants your service. God wants your commitment to his work in this world. 
And God wants your witness. I wonder how many of us have actually thought about that. In the gifts studies that people have done about spiritual gifts and everything, they say that approximately 7% of all people have the gift of evangelism. That means 93% of us don't. <laughs> but yet, God says to us through Jesus Christ that we are expected to carry the good news of Jesus Christ into all the world and share it. I once had a conversation with a person who was one of these church people that go in and tell other churches how to, how to be better churches. And he was having a conversation with the pastor of this church and, and he asked the pastor of that church, he says, uh, and how many people serve on your evangelism committee? And the pastor looked back at him and he says, we don't have an evangelism committee. And he says, what do you mean you don't have an evangelism committee? He says, why would we have an evangelism committee? He says, every person in this church is expected to share the good news of Jesus Christ. He said that would be like having a breathing committee. He said, sharing the gospel should be as normal to us and as second nature to us as breathing. I thought about that and said, wow, wouldn't that be something if everyone in our church took the opportunity, each and every opportunity that they had, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We are expected to trust God. As Christian people, we are expected to come to God in faith and in trust and to share that with the world around us. And my friends, that is, in my opinion, some of the areas where God expects us to be givers. The truth is, though, we live in a very busy world, don't we? We live in a world filled with all kinds of activities and, and things to do. I don't know how young parents today manage their kids. I watch my two grandchildren and, my, and their parents running them to football games and soccer games and this and that and one activity of another, scouts and, and youth group and so on and so forth, and I don't know how in the world they ever keep up with what's going on in life. The world is entirely too full. And all this wonderful technology that we've been given through computers and smartphones and, and all this other kind of stuff, as wonderful as it may be, have they really saved anybody any time? What they really do is give us the opportunity to be even more busy than we were before. And in the midst of this busyness, it's sometimes easy to divorce ourselves from who and what we really are. The who we are are Christian people, people who believe that Christ is Lord, people who understand that he died for us in this world. And what we are are to be people that live a life that is authentically Christian, a life that goes into the world and demonstrates to all those who see us in this world who we really are. I think as we watch the news that goes on the television sets each night and, and hear the news stories on our radios and read the newspapers, we find altogether too many testimonies about people who do not place as God as the most important thing in their lives. That is what we need to do. And as we look at this world around us, we can't help but I think in some ways be overcome by the level of grief and anxiety that exists in the world today. Today we live in a, in a country where there are millions of people unemployed. 
We live in a country today where there are hundreds of thousands of people who have lost their homes, the American dream. We live in a place where things look as if they may get worse before they get better. And yet, this is a time where the church is needed more than it's ever been needed before. There's never been a time in our country's history where the church has become more irrelevant. Those are hard words to hear, aren't they? We don't want to think about the fact that the church is becoming irrelevant. It's become irrelevant because the church has failed to do what the church has been called to do, which is to be a witness to the world about the love of God. We need to be so caught up in the lives of the helpless and the hurting and the homeless that people see us as being the people who are taking God's grace into the world. We need to be his hands and his feet. More importantly, we need to be his heart. As we struggle with the busyness of life, as we struggle with the irrelevancy that the church has in the lives of so many people today, it should call us to remember those two commandments that Jesus gave us. Go into the world to share the good news of Jesus Christ and to live a life that is reflected in those words he shares with us in Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46, where he tells us that it is our task, our duty, and our privilege to give food to the hungry, water to the thirsty, clothes to the naked, to visit those who are sick and in prison, and to be an encouragement to everyone that we meet. My friends, if we do that, then the question begins to change. And instead of asking the question, what am I expected to give? We change the conversation and ask simply, how can I serve? When the focus of our life becomes on how can I serve instead of what is expected of me, we are freed by God and God's spirit to truly be the church, to rise up and make a true difference in the world that's around us. It is my prayer that each of us, as we examine our lives, will begin to think about those things that are of first importance, how we can honor God with our life, how we can be sure that God's message of salvation is heard by a world around us who needs it more today than ever, and how we can be the people that truly serve God in humbleness and with diligence. Let us pray. O holy and gracious God, we ask you to empower us. You held nothing back from us and for our salvation. And Lord, give us the strength to hold nothing back now as we give ourselves to your children. As we reach out to the lost and hurting in this world, as we reach out to the unbelieving world that's around us, let us be bearers of light. Let us be people who make a difference. Let us be people who respond to the gifts that you have given us with the gift of our lives to others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.